Good morning. I'm Charles. Together with my wife Jane and some others, we help run one of BNA's little church groups. Today we're carrying on with our series going through the book of Genesis. And we've now reached Genesis 43, which is the continuation of the story of Joseph going to Egypt. Now, like Wayne last week, I'm not going to go through the whole of the passage with you, but just to summarize the main points. So firstly, to put it in context, Joseph's brothers, as you may recall, had seized him and sold him as a slave, and he'd been taken to Egypt. In Egypt, he'd ended up in prison, and whilst in prison, he met two of Pharaoh's officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. When those officials had dreams, Joseph correctly interpreted those dreams. A few years later, Pharaoh himself had two dreams, and the chief cupbearer told Pharaoh about Joseph. Joseph was brought from prison and interpreted Pharaoh's dream uh, that a famine was coming. And as a result of that, Pharaoh put Joseph in control of all Egypt. The famine duly came, and as a result, Joseph's brothers came down to Egypt to buy food. They didn't recognize him, but he recognized them, and he decided to test them. Firstly, he told them if they came again, they would have to bring Benjamin with him. Of course, Benjamin was Joseph's true brother. The others were half-brothers. And he also made arrangements to put back into their sacks the money which they had spent buying the corn. What chapter 43 of Genesis tells us is that eventually they needed more food. So they came back a second time, and this time they brought Benjamin, and indeed also double the money to pay for the grain. And picking it up at verse 16, we're told that the brothers hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, "'Take these men to my house,' slaughter an animal and prepare dinner. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the brothers to Joseph's house. Now the brothers were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. Eventually, they're served with the meal and were told that they served Joseph by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. I've told before the story of the preacher who, during his uh, talk, kept bringing in questions and problems, and eventually somebody shouted out from the audience, "'Tell me about your certainties. I have enough doubts of my own.'" The certainties that I have learnt from a regular reading of the Bible is this. God is in control of the affairs of this world. After all, he created the world, he made mankind, and when mankind rebelled, 
God devised a rescue where he himself became the man Jesus and died on the cross and rose again. And at the end of time, God is a time that God determines, he will bring creation to an end and we will all then stand before him and be judged by him. But I'm equally certain that God's timing is not my timing, and we see that from today's passage. God allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery and taken to Egypt because he could then arrange for Joseph to become the ruler of Egypt. The immediate result of that in the next few years was that Egypt and the surrounding lands were saved from famine. But the longer-term result was that, in fulfillment of promises that God had made to Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham, God was beginning to create Israel as a nation. Four hundred years later, God extracted Israel from Egypt and re-established it in the Promised Land. And over a thousand years after that, in fulfillment of many prophecies that God had put into the mouths of the prophets, Jesus is born into that nation. Now, I give you that perspective because when things happen, we tend to want immediate answers and an instant understanding. But what we are dealing with when we come with God's actions, we need to remember that God's timescales can be very different from our own. In the passage, Joseph is testing his brothers to see whether their character has changed. And as I have said before, I think God is carrying out a similar testing of us at this time. He is shaking the nations. And these shakings appear to be coming in ever more powerful waves. In 2018-2019, we had a shaking in the political sphere with Brexit. This year, COVID-19 has shaken the nations, originally with health, but now the whole world is being shaken economically. But why is God allowing this shaking? I read an article about this recently, and to be honest, I don't think I can do better than was set out in the article. It said this, This shaking of the nations is really a shaking of humans' confidence in human beings. The shaking of our confidence in our own ability to solve all problems. Our confidence in our technology, in our wisdom, cleverness, power and might. The hope is that as this shaking continues and humans lose confidence in themselves, they will be open to the word of God and turn to him in vast numbers. This is the repentance of the nations for which God is calling, that people may receive salvation through Christ. This is the gospel that Christians are called upon to proclaim through the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I have certainly been challenged in this time about where my security actually lies. I'm nearing retirement And the question I have is, am I trusting my future to God, or is my trust really in my pension fund? So when the fund trustees write and say, we are obliged by the regulations to tell you that the fund has dropped in value by 10%, and a few days later one gets a second letter saying it's dropped by a further 10%, 
Do I stand firm? Do I say like the psalmist in Psalm 46, God is my refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore I will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Or do I actually run around in blind panic and fear? Let me be honest, I actually shuttle between the two. I know in my head that God is in control, but I'm not sure that that truth has yet been entirely rooted in my heart. There are times when I'm totally confident of the truth that God is in control. He knows the end from the beginning, he loves me, and he will bring me through this time. But equally, there are occasions when I fear. And somebody commented, fear is a great writer of fiction. And we see that in our passage today. In verse 18, we're told, Now the brothers were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. Joseph was the ruler of all Egypt. He probably had a surfeit of donkeys. It is most unlikely that he would have needed to take a few donkeys belonging to his brothers. What I am learning at this time includes two important points. The first is that faith grows by being exercised. It's all very well saying I trust in God. But if you never actually have to do it, these words are really meaningless. These times of shaking and testing mean we have to trust in God in a way that we have not had to do probably in most of our lifetimes. The second thing I've learnt is really the flip side of that. I need to repent of putting my trust in the wrong things. Up until relatively recently, I tended to think of repentance as being restricted to those coming to Jesus for the first time and accepting him as saviour. I'm increasingly coming to realise that I personally need to repent, to turn away from my reliance on my intellect, my ability and my wisdom and go to our loving God and say, I'm sorry, help me to turn from these and to build my life based on your wisdom and your commandments. And you know, I think it flows out as well. Can I suggest we also need to repent as a church? Because we know that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. But we've really failed to present that to non-believers in ways that are attractive and that they can understand. I think that as a church, we need to say sorry, that instead of introducing people to the Jesus who died for them, we've had a tendency to present a series of rules and of social behavior. Now, this is a particularly important time. This shaking should result firstly in those of us who already have a trust in Jesus, putting our trust more and more and deepening our trust in him. But equally, people who have not yet put their trust in Jesus 
are having to reevaluate their position and their priorities, and many of them are rattled. If you have always relied on your job and your savings and your ability, and you realize that they're being shaken, and you realize that it's clear that there are challenges that mankind faces which cannot be overcome, you begin to question where you should put your trust. So, not surprisingly, there is currently an upsurge of interest about the Christian faith, and I wonder if perhaps the Lord is challenging each one of us. Are we ready to tell our friends and colleagues about Jesus? The Alpha course, like many other things, has had to go online because people can't come and attend, and it is experiencing a real upsurge in numbers Currently, there are over 1,500 Alpha courses online running in this country, 209 of which are in the southwest. This church is going to be running an Alpha course starting on Tuesday the 7th of July. There is never going to be a better opportunity to invite your friends to Alpha. Firstly, Because of the shaking going on, people are hungry to know about real truths and certainties. And secondly, they don't even have to come to a church to learn about it. They can simply join with their computer or smart device. And I think God's saying to us, are we each up to that challenge? Because it could make an eternal difference to somebody. So as we sit... Can we just sit in silence for a little and then I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit comes upon us.